Good morning. Hello and welcome to Mechanicsville Baptist Church Sunday morning service. What a wonderful day to be in the house of the Lord. Thank you for being part of our service. We especially want to welcome any visitors that we might have here. There's a tear-off tab on the back of the bulletin. And if you feel so led, any visitors can fill that out, drop it in the offering plate, and we'll give our church a chance to reach out to you to see how we can better serve the Lord together. I'd like to draw your attention to the opportunities of the week on, on, on the back of the bulletin. On Tuesday, there's a meeting for the people involved with the roof, uh, the roof project. That's at 7 o'clock in the John Bryant room. On Wednesday, there's a constitutional and bylaws team meeting at 7 o'clock. On Thursday, there's a 7 o'clock fellowship breakfast. And then also at 7 o'clock, that's, that's at 7 a.m. And then at 7 p.m., there's a woman's ministry Bible study. like to uh, call Bill Blackburn for a special announcement, and then after Bill, the youth will, youth will come up for a special announcement. Good morning, everyone. It's so great to see you here. You know, I just want you to know that I am so blessed to have each and every one of y'all as a Christian friend, a close friend. I love every, every one of y'all. And I want to make an announcement. The Hanover County Sheriff's Office invites you to their quarterly meeting being held Thursday, March the 3rd. That's not too far from now. Between 7 and 9 p.m. A presentation on best practices. It's going to be the most up-to-date practices you should use if you find yourself in an active shooter situation. In this training you will hear the latest information on preparing, responding, and dealing in an active shooter event. The presentation is free. You want to RSVP to Sergeant Terry Sullivan. There are a few brochures out front I saw. It will also be in the uh, touchstone this coming week. Some church members cannot drive at night for whatever the reason or don't drive at all. And if you would still like to go to this important meeting, uh, give me a call. My number will be on the touchstone. We'll work something out. If there are any members here that would be willing to help a, a, a fellow member go to the meeting between 7 and 9, just give me a call at my house and we'll set it up and take care of you. God bless you. Tim's got a great message. He always does. It's a message from God. So let's have a nice day and learn a, learn a lot from God. Thank you. Hi there. Well, it looks like it's going to be a scorcher today. Big Donnie's D's the name. Selling's the game. What's your handle, Mac? Frank. Uh, well, hi there, Frank, old man. Glad to meet you. Got the kid and uh, Mrs. tucked away somewhere? Or did you get out on your own? No, I'm here alone. All alone with no one but Donnie to talk to? Frank, old buddy, this could be your lucky day. What game you in, Frankie? Sales. Sales? You too? Say, that's amazing. You and me are exactly alike. Thanks. Say, uh, tell me about yourself. Old, old Donnie D wants to know all about his new brother. You know, I've been in the sales game for years myself. Sold widgets in Chicago, beans in Boston, 
Why, I even went up to Alaska and took a shot at selling polar bear insurance to Eskimos. <laughs> huh. So what's the angle? What's the scam or uh, the pitch? No pitch. No pitch. Oh, don't fool me, Frankie boy. I bet you're the best. You know, I was, out, I was an outstanding sales rep in my district last year. Sold more units than everyone else. How about you now? I don't really keep count. They do that at the home office. A salesman that doesn't keep count. That just doesn't happen. Come on, what's your total? 312. 312 last year? Boy, that's great. 312 this month. 312 this month? Incredible. You must be the best salesman alive. It's the product. It sells itself. Now we're getting somewhere. What's the product? What do you sell? Tickets to the Mechanicsville Baptist Church annual youth dinner and variety show. <laughs> so, uh, what, do the, what do you get the people to bite on the show? Offer great spaghetti, auction baskets to bid on, and an opportunity to see some great talent, all for $12 a person. Well, you sold me, brother. I'll take two. When and what time? February 27th. Doors open at 5 p.m. Man, I wish I could sell like you. Don't we all? So I had a little birdie come up to me this morning, and she said, Leslie, I, you know, I have some folks who say they're not coming. And I said, well, my goodness, why not? And she said, well, they said last year they didn't like the way the tables were set up, and it felt kind of confined. And I said, oh, we've already taken care of that. So we are going to have the tables uh, set up uh, kind of the same, but we're going to spread them out a little bit. And then I wanted you all to know that we did hear some of the concerns from last year. So we have made a few changes. We really want you to come out. I mean, we know last year that the auction was at the end and some people were getting ready to leave. So we're going to spread that out throughout the whole session. And we're going to make it not quite as long. So we're gonna, we worked on that too. So we really, really hope that you come out. And um, we're going to be the acts who are in it. They're going to practice Friday night, and then Saturday is the big event. So please, please, please come out, support our youth, and we look forward to seeing you there. Now let's draw our attention to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ as we go into worship. Rising again, I bless your name. 
Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Jesus, let this service touch our hearts in ways that bring us closer to you. Help us to have a better understanding of your will for our lives and better enable us to go out in our community and reach out to those around you, around us with your saving word. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good morning. We're so glad to have you with us this morning. We're going to stand together and sing page 406, The Solid Rock.
please stand again as we sing about God's amazing grace, page 330. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the many gifts that come from your hand, unmerited and undeserved. We pray, Lord, that these gifts that we return to you might be used for the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ in this community and throughout the world. In your name we pray. Amen.
Shall we pray? Eternal God, into your presence we come on this day that you've given to us, thanking you for the gift of your grace, unmerited, undeserved, and yet given because of your great love for us. Even in the midst of our pain and sorrow and difficulties, Father, we can come to you knowing that when we are weak, you are strong. When we are in the midst of the storm, you are a calming presence. How grateful we are, Father, that as we gather in your house on this day, that we do so knowing that you are here with us. For you have promised that where two or three are gathered in your name, you are in the midst of them, and we are thankful for the presence and power of your spirit. We are grateful, Father, for your word. For in your word, Father, we find meaning and purpose for life itself. In your word, we find the story of redemption and the gift of faith. Help us, Father, to submit ourselves before you as faithful servants. We are grateful, Father, for the ministries of this church, for the work that we're able to do in this place, in this community, for the gifts that we can give to see that people around the world can hear the gospel story. For, Father, we know that the hope of the world rests in the saving knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ. For those, Father, who are sick, we pray that you will bring healing to their bodies. For those, Father, who are recuperating from injury, we lift them to you. Knowing, Father, that as we do, that your will will be done in their lives. And we pray because you've asked us to pray. And we know, Father, that as we pray, you hear. Help us, Father, to find comfort in knowing that you are here. We pray, Father, that you will bless us as we open your word, as we listen for a word from you, as we seek to find encouragement for our lives and challenge ourselves so that we might be more like you would have us to be. I am thankful for each person here today. For we come, Father, seeking you trusting you, praying, Father, that as we give ourselves to you, that you will use us for your glory. For we make this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 18. And we will also look at some verses in chapter 13 as we conclude our study of 2 Corinthians. It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body 
I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. How he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I will boast. Yet not yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be, or hears from me. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I have become a fool in boasting. You have compelled me. For I ought to have been commended by you, for in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. For what is it in which you were inferior to other churches except that I myself was not burdensome to you? Forgive me this wrong. Now for the third time I am ready to come to you. And I will not be burdensome to you, for I do not seek yours but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the most abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. But be that as it may, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, be crafty, I caught you by cunning. Did I take advantage of you by any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus and sent our brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not walk in the same spirit? Did we not walk in the same steps? The section before us is a difficult one to interpret on many levels. First, as readers, we are absolutely unprepared for abrupt change of topic, tone, and content. For the topic, nothing in the previous nine chapters has suggested we should be anticipating this material. In the earlier chapters, Paul did not allude to a major problem of a most serious nature, as seems to be the case in chapters 10 through 13, and then announced, but I will deal with that later. Further, the tone shifts radically. We move to a persistently combative and confrontational posture that seems out of place, with the general character of the rest of the letter, whose entire theme has been comfort with the comfort wherewith you have been comforted. Finally, the details of the content present arguments apparently made against Paul personally, attacking both his apostleship and his teaching in the church at Corinth and Paul's responses to them. 
which seems to be an historical setting that takes place before that of the good news from Titus in Macedonia that defines most of 2 Corinthians chapters 1 through 9. Second, even if we are prepared for this material, the argumentation is like listening to one side of a telephone conversation. We have a hard time reconstructing exactly what the issues are and who said what when because we're only hearing Paul's side of the conversation. Basic exegesis is challenged because we seem to be missing the context for this material. Richard Halverson tells the story in leadership about the frog who fell in the pothole and couldn't get out. Even his friends couldn't get him to muster enough strength to jump out of the deep pothole. They gave up and left him to his fate. But the next day they saw him bounding around just fine. Somehow he had made it out and so they asked him how he did it. They said to him, we thought you couldn't get out. The frog replied, I couldn't, but a truck came along and I had to. And that's the challenge of this passage. We have to take time to look at it. Ministry is a challenge personally, and the minister of the gospel of which we all are ministers must be steadfast in the call. God even allows a thorn in the flesh to keep the minister in proper perspective on the work of ministry. In everything, power and weakness is God's calling card. And Paul wants to assure the Corinthians that in order for them to be the church that God has called them to be, they must accept their weaknesses and allow God to work in their lives. Paul speaks very clearly of a messenger of Satan in the first ten verses. Paul did not consider consider boasting profitable, but Corinthian attitudes forced his hand. If spirituality were to be measured by the number or quality of revelations one has had or even known persons who had, then Paul could talk the talk. While he fundamentally did not consider revelations an actual measure of true spirituality, he still related a notable one that we read in the first five verses. Paul's boasting would not make him a fool because he spoke the truth, he said in verse 6. In none of this did he fail to have witnesses. Nothing in his ministry went beyond what a person could see and hear for themselves. Paul always laid out the truth before the people. He made it very clear who he served on every occasion. Paul was submitted to the authority of God even more than simply suppressing a penchant for boasting. God gave Paul a thorn in the flesh, particularly to prevent self-exaltation. This situation is probably more than a physical or emotional malady. Since Paul personalized this phenomenon specifically as a messenger of Satan, Such a description frames the experience as interpersonal. We know that Paul had a thorn in the flesh, something that humbled him, something that reminded him of his need for God. We do not know that Paul appealed, we do know that Paul appealed directly to God on three separate occasions to take it away from him. 
the three times shows earnestness on Paul's part and resoluteness on God's part. The divine response is affirming and revealing in verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Now that's a hard pill for us to swallow because that's not how we're taught. That's not in our DNA. We are taught that if we can be the most powerful, then we will be the most protected. If we can be the most powerful, then more people will listen to us. If we can just do what is necessary in life to get ahead, then everything will be as it's supposed to be. And here Paul comes along and tells the Corinthian church, you can say everything you want to say, and it will not matter until you recognize that God can only use you when you humble yourself in your weaknesses. When you are weak, then you depend on God. When you are strong, you depend on yourself. Isn't that life? Isn't that the way we live? We do that all the time. When things are going along fine, we leave God alone because we've got it under control. And then when things start to fall apart, we realize that we need something more than we are, and so then we go to God. And Paul is saying, until you come to terms with what your thorn in the flesh is, until you can come to terms with your weakness, then you'll never understand the unmerited grace that comes to you from God. God gave us something we don't deserve. He gave us grace. The lion was proud of his mastery of the animal kingdom. One day he decided to make sure all the other animals knew he was king of the jungle, kind of like the Corinthian church was doing in their boasting and asking Paul to do the same. The lion was so confident that he bypassed the smaller animals and went straight to the bear. Who is the king of the jungle, the lion asked. The bear replied, why you, of course. The lion gave a mighty roar of approval. Next he asked the tiger, who is the king of the jungle? The tiger quickly responded, everyone knows that you are, almighty lion. Next on the list was the elephant. The lion faced the elephant and addressed his question. Who is the king of the jungle? The elephant immediately grabbed the lion with his trunk, whirled him around in the air five or six times, and slammed him into a tree. Then he pounded him on the ground several times, dunked him under the water in a nearby lake, and finally threw him up on the shore. The lion, beaten, bruised, and battered, struggled to his feet. He looked at the elephant through sad and bloody eyes and said, Look, just because you don't know the answer is no reason for you to get all mean about it. see, the Corinthian church had gotten all mean about it. And Paul was trying to teach them a valuable lesson about grace. Paul was assured he would not be crushed by the experience. God's plan in the gospel was revealed in that Paul's personal experience was used as a paradigm for all Christian living by power and weakness, or as Paul said, that Christ's power may reside in me. The result is personal testimony that God can use various weaknesses, insults, catastrophes, persecutions, and pressures to point us to Christ. Paul summarized the premier gospel principle in verse 10. For when I am weak, 
then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. He goes on to address the issue of boasting in verses 11 through 18 as he speaks of a fool for Christ. So Paul had become a fool by taking to boasting, but he was blunt. He said to the Corinthian church, you forced me into it. Instead of endorsing Paul, the Corinthians allowed his honor and status to be degraded by those super apostles to whom he in no way was inferior. Remember we spoke of the super apostles early on. Those who had it all figured out in the Corinthian church and people were lining up behind these super apostles and dividing the church. It's an issue all the time. Who are we true to? And Paul always pointed to something bigger than him. I am weak, but God through me is strong. The signs, wonders, and miracles of an apostle he performed, and he held back nothing in how he treated the Corinthians as honorably as any of his churches. Ironically, he noted in verse 13, did you catch that? That his only burden was that he did not burden them. And he begged their forgiveness for this wrong. The church needs to have a burden. The church needs to have a burden for the lost and the hurting of the world. And if we don't have that burden, then we don't know what ministry is. The Corinthians needed to have a burden for the people, particularly in Jerusalem. But that issue that Paul raised with them went far beyond that because it got to the heart of what the problem with their relationships really were. The problem with their relationships was they were depending on themselves and not God. And when they did that, it affected not only their relationship to God, but we see how profoundly it it affected their relationship to Paul and then to one another as the church began to faction. Paul said, and he was ready to come to them a third time. We have the known original visit in Acts 18 and the alluded painful visit in 2 Corinthians 2.1 and another third time I'm coming to you referenced in 13.1, but the matter is too complicated to keep the count straight to know exactly where this third time reference in 12.1 places us in the interactions of Paul and Corinth. In any case, Paul disavowed for another time that he took anyone in by deceit or took advantage by anyone he sent, most especially Titus. He basically said that everyone I sent to you did exactly as I did. They walked the walk and talked the talk in their relationship to Christ. Listen to me, he said. Listen to me and I will show you the grace of God and how it can make the church strong when it admits that it is weak. The same thing happens in our personal lives, doesn't it? We are weak, we just don't like to admit it. We are subjected to our environment and to all the relationships around us and those relationships and our environment can affect who we are And where we go. And Paul is saying, embrace your weakness. 
And when you embrace your weakness, then you can become strong. It's true. I've seen it in my own life. There is no reason for us to get argumentative with people who don't believe the word. It does absolutely no good. God can change people's hearts, not me. I can only be faithful. And in my weakness, I can't answer all the questions in the scripture. I have no idea all the answers in scripture. But the one thing I know is that God has shown me he knows the way. And if I follow him, he will direct my paths. When we are weak, that's when God is at his best in our lives. Paul knew that, didn't he? He wrote about that. He wrote from prison, confined in a space. He wrote. And then in verses in chapter 13, verses 7 through 13, he gives us some final thoughts. Showing great leadership and spiritual maturity, Paul took responsibility for the Corinthian condition. In the sense of fulfilling a call and a mission to preach the gospel and plant churches, the Corinthian church was a signal of Paul's success or failure, he said in verse 7. Yet Paul had no option but to push ahead for the truth of the gospel and to trust the result with God. Because of the weakness power dynamic of Christ's work in the gospel, any minister can rejoice that when they are weak in ministry, that is doing gospel ministry, the gospel way, then the church is strong. To this end of a healthy church, Paul did not fail to pray that the Corinthians would become fully mature, implying that they were not now. Such a prayer was ironic since the Corinthians all along prided themselves in being spiritual, especially in speech and knowledge. But look what he said in verse 9 of 13. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong, and this also we pray that you may be made complete or mature in your walk. Paul wrote strongly now so as to avoid a showdown later. To be sure, he had authority the Lord gave him, but he conceived this grant of authority more for building up and not for tearing down. That attitude is in the minister's heart. Therefore, I write these things, verse 10, being absent, lest being present, I should use sharpness according to the authority which the Lord has given me for edification Now hear that, for edification, not for destruction. You see, the grace of God trumps anything Paul can say because that grace is offered to anyone regardless of circumstances, regardless of condition, regardless of defiance to God. God's grace is available to anyone who would receive it. And finally, Paul brought the letter to a conclusion with typical Christian exhortations. First, he wanted them to rejoice because reconciliation had been achieved in the church. Their relationships had been mended. Their relationships with one another were stronger as a result of what had occurred. Second, become mature because they had obvious room to grow, as we all do. Third, be encouraged because weakness is strength. Fourth, be of the same mind because unity is the only way to overcome the corruption of those who would pervert the message of the church and in this case the super apostles. And fifth, in verse 11 we read, Finally, brethren, farewell, become complete, be of good comfort, be of one mind, 
live in peace. Be at peace because peace is a fundamental characteristic of God. Jesus said so, didn't he? In John 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. In Isaiah, we read the words in Isaiah 40, peace, or 41, peace, be still. Paul then calls for the typical greeting with a holy kiss, a standard feature of first century culture. And then he indicates all those believers surrounding him in Macedonia greet you. Paul ends 2 Corinthians with that standard Paul grace benediction that is the signature conclusion to all Paul's letters. In verse 13 he says, All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Paul ended the letter where he wanted to go. He ended the letter by calling attention back to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Because Paul knew that anything that we could ever accomplish or be starts when we focus on God and not ourselves. It's so easy to focus on ourselves in the world in which we find ourselves. It's so easy to want to gratify self But the Lord says if we are going to be what we are called to be, we will deny ourselves and take up our crosses and show the world what strength is through the power of God. Paul was writing to a church which had been at serious odds with him, strongly contentious and refusing to cooperate with the other churches in alleviating the poverty of Jerusalem. They needed the grace of the Lord Jesus, but they also needed a fresh vision of the Father's love and willingness to open their lives in response to it. But more. This was a church which was torn by faction, whose members had ranged themselves contentiously with different apostles and even against apostles. At one point, they rejected Paul's authority and through adherence to the heretical super apostles were in danger of rupturing relationships with the rest of the churches of Christ. If ever a church needed to learn afresh the meaning of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, it was this one and not merely its meaning, but its reality. Paul was calling them back to that understanding that comes to those who give themselves to the saving gospel of Jesus Christ that comes through His grace. Accordingly, the benediction which Paul normally pronounced became expanded into a blessing of extraordinary pertinence to the church to which it was addressed. It remains powerfully powerfully relevant to Christ's congregations today. People still need to know that grace which stoops to raise us from hell to heaven, the Father's love that spared neither the only Son nor Himself and still welcomes the prodigal children and the Spirit's fellowship which gathers the separated children of humans into one family in Christ. He calls us to unity. Unity under nothing other than Christ. Paul understood the power of transformation.
through Jesus Christ. He said in another place in Corinthians that we've already looked at that you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. All things become new. And if all things become new, then we need to rethink what weakness and what power are and how we give ourselves to God. For safety reasons, mountain climbers rope themselves together when climbing a mountain. That way, if one climber should slip and fall, he would not fall to his death. He would be held by the others until he could regain his footing. The church ought to be like that. When one member slips and falls, the others should hold him up until he regains his footing. Because Paul said it very clearly, we are all roped together by the Father, by the Son, and by the Holy Spirit. And he leaves us with this final benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Shall we pray? Oh Lord, we are thankful for the lessons learned from Paul of the sufficiency of your grace, of our reluctance to submit to you, of the power that comes to us through weakness as we submit ourselves to God. Help us, Father, to find this vision that Paul had for the church so that as we strive and as we struggle to be the people of God, we find our dependence totally on you. For we make this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our hymn of invitation is number 390. We are called to be God's people. Indeed, we are called to be God's people. Paul calls us to be God's people. He reminds us of the sufficiency of his grace and of our power in our weakness. Will you stand as we sing?
suddenness of this certainly has left them in shock and uh, it will be a long time as they heal. But I want to thank you as a church family for how you reached out to them and how you helped them uh, in these past few days and how you have prayed for me uh, as we have uh, walked this way. We are reminded certainly of how God is strong when we are weak. And so that has been reiterated to me this week. But thank you as a church family. The Salt and Light newsletter uh, is in the uh, uh, foyer if you choose to pick one up. They're in blue this month. And uh, you can do so if you choose. Again, thank you for being a part of this service. Let's bow for a benediction. Gracious and eternal God, as we depart today, we do so recognizing that we go in our weakness to be made strong by your grace. May we take the grace that is in our lives that has transformed us and be the illumination of the light of Christ in a world who needs to know a Savior. Bless us as we depart. In the name of Jesus, amen.